0: So this season, we'll focus more on practical ways to do just that. This episode is brought to you, by the way, by City Parent, Canada's largest award-winning free regional parent magazine, serving families for 35 years. CityParent.com Just a few days ago, UNICEF, the United Nations Children Agency, issued an alert Usually when we hear from UNICEF, it's about the world's most disadvantaged kids, often in third world nations. This new alert, however, is about all children, in all nations, including right here. It's a mental health alert, warning about the impact isolation is having on tens of millions of our kids. Isolated, afraid, lonely, anxious, these are just some of the words the agency is using to describe this growing crisis as well as being your own mental health advocate, you need to be one for your children as well. Your child, a mental health alert, right now on The Happy Molecule. Later, I introduce you to the author of Mindful Me Goes to Sleep, a new interactive children's bedtime book that introduces your child to being in the moment, being mindful. But first, Dr. Kushimaria is a child psychologist and senior clinical director at CBT Associates. Hi, Dr. Amaria. Hi, Kevin. What is your initial reaction to this alert from UNICEF?
1: In some ways, I wish I was surprised. um, But, you know, we're seeing kids all over the country being impacted by this pandemic. And maybe not, you know, everything about the pandemic, but certainly lockdown. And I think that's what that UNICEF report was all about, that lockdown can have some real You know, um, potentially long-term, but real impact on young people's mental health all over the world.
0: They're using words like anxious, lonely, scared.
1: You know, and I think we as parents and even just adults have been anxious, lonely, and scared throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. So it doesn't surprise me that children of all ages um, would be having some of those same experiences. Sometimes it's probably mirroring what their families are going through, and others it might be them missing, you know, the everyday things that make their life predictable and normal and give them the structure that children usually need to thrive.
0: What do we need to look for? And, and this is of course going to vary with the age of our child our child.
1: You know, and I and you know, I think of this in a couple of different ways. Um parents know their children well, they know their children best, they know what's normal for them. So typically we're looking for a change from normal. And I don't even like using the word normal right now because none of us really know what that means (laughs) anymore. Um, But we're looking for changes from, you know, doing things they usually enjoy, you know, we might see some, let's talk about actually the really overt things we see. So we see kids who are tantruming more, they're more restless, they're, um, you know, they're less motivated to do the things they usually like to do or find pleasure in. Um, They can't tolerate stresses or disappointment as easily. Um, So sometimes we see these very overt signs when kids are struggling. And other times we see things that are a bit more subtle. So it could be that withdrawal from regular activities. It could be a sense of listless and um, you know a sense of just not being excited about anything kind of losing their hope or optimism if there was anything remaining right now.
0: And no matter how much you can throw your kid outside they're not getting as much exercise as they did pre-lockdown and that exercise that running around is really important for a child in their development.
1: Absolutely, and, and it is that physical element, you know, obviously speaking as a psychologist, we know that exercise is so connected our, um, to our mental health, right, um, and that applies to children as well, but exercise comes with other things, you know, being outdoors often is less structured activity, there's no screens, um, typically kids play outside with other kids, they have to use other parts of their brain, and so we're also missing some of those things, right, some of the risk-taking that happens when you're running around outside on a park um, versus kind of sitting on your couch and, and kind of being you know, isolated from the world. And so activity is really important for kids. I'd argue actually it's probably not just the activity. It's the, um, it's being involved in something that feels predictable to them, something that they know a a safe place in a way. Um, And when you're not in, you know, when you're not in your schoolyard in the same way that you might've been playing in the schoolyard last year, then that doesn't feel normal.
0: So let's talk language now. You know, how to draw out of your child how they're feeling, because you know, if you say to your kid, how are you feeling? They go, yeah, yeah, well, I'm right. fine. You know, right. and that's it. Yeah. How can I draw them out without being irritating?
1: You know, there's so many, and again, it depends on the ages, but there's so many different ways that we can get anybody to be more emotionally aware, right? And that's what this is about. This is about actually being able to tell yourself what you're feeling. Um, There's lots of different ways to do that. Some fun and creative ways. Um, But you know, the one thing I was just reminding parents is you know, talk about your own emotions. It's okay to tell your kids, that made me feel so happy, or this made me feel so stressful. Um, oh my gosh, I'm so anxious right now because of X or Y or whatever is kind of going on in their lives. So kids are going to learn how to have their emotional talk, language from their parents. And so if you're not really good at that, you can be surprised, surprised, your kid might not know how to report it. Um, I have to talk about, I like the idea of using um, a temperature gauge, right? And so, you know, most kids, despite the fact that we don't have a lot of thermometers lying around, you know, they all know that you can have a little bit and you can kind of see a rise in emotion. Um, so kids know. So, well, tell me, you know, are you a little, you know, where are you on your temperature? Um, well, if, especially if you're angry, for example, you know, I'm just down here. I'm just a little angry. OK, well, what does it look like when that that red line starts to creep up? What would I see if the temperature uh, thermometer was full right to the top? And, and, you know, kids can talk about that. You can do it at a time where, you um, You're getting them to kind of play out their emotions as well. So, so that when it comes time to say, Hey, I need a check in, how are you doing? "Mm, I'm a seven on my scale, mommy.
0: (laughs) Uh (laughs) We talked a few months ago and I loved another idea you had. And that had to do with comparing what mood you were in and what was inside your head with the weather.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, little kids really get that, right? They understand the differences between whether a stormy, cloudy, dark day versus a beachy, sunny, you know, like this, it's hot and kind of, you know, nice out there. And so you can use lots of different analogies, you just really have to pick what works for you and your family, um, to be able to practice that. And so that that if you practice that and you learn that kind of lingo to use within each other, then you can use that as your actual check-in with your kids. Say, yeah, you know, you're kind of looking like a stormy day right now, my darling. Do you need to go do something to kind of calm yourself down to be more like a super, uh, you know, a sunny, nice summer day? Um, And hopefully kids will get that, right? And they'll be able to use that without feeling threatened. Uh,
0: Okay, we're going to talk in a few minutes about um, uh, the dreaded teen years and trying to get them to talk. But I want to continue with younger kids for a little bit. Um, how do you get across to a, a younger child the concept of anxiety, the concept of stress and the concept of depression? How do you, how do you get that across?
1: Yeah, you know, there's, it, there's one way to do it. But I think the important piece when you're talking to young kids about something like anxiety is most children, they know how to label their emotions or they know how to label emotions in others. They might, you know, we read books and say, oh, look, Caillou looks really scared to go on the airplane for the first time. Hmm, what does it mean to be scared? And you can connect that feeling to their, what they think Caillou might be thinking, for example, or what do you see in his body um, that suggests that he's scared? Oh, looks like he's shaking. looks like he's hiding his face. Um, And so, you know, it's really nice to be able to do that with, other things that we see in our lives, whether it's cartoons and books or each other, and um, when we're teaching our children about emotional awareness, and so we can talk about anxiety. Kids have, all kids I know right now, I've heard these words, depression and sad. Sometimes they don't understand what it really means, um, but we can talk to them about it. What does it mean if somebody was really down and sad? What are the different things that could cause that? You know, every child has lost, you know, a pet or heard a story about um, losing somebody they care about or even something they love. You know, my my favorite blue shirt is gone. Um, you know, I know how I feel when that happened. Um, and so making it be about everyday things when we talk about anxiety and depression and sadness means if it's the big type of anxiety or depression that it doesn't feel too scary to talk about. Right. Because we know that these are emotions that aren't on and off. They go on a range again, just like that thermometer. We go through kind of times where it goes, it's low, and then it gets high. And um, again, we want young people to understand that mental health is like that; it changes over time.
0: How young do you have to be to have mental health? Uh, you know, and, and I know we all have mental health from the from the, uh, our first breath. But how young does mental health of consequence? Let's let, let's call it. How young do you have to be? And is it getting younger?
1: I couldn't speak to the, the true stats that we probably see across um, you know, this country, at least. But um, I, always, I, I always think of it as this way. Nobody is immune. And it probably doesn't matter what age you are. None of us are immune um, to the impairment and distress that poor mental health causes. Um, And that might happen when you're four years old, Um, you know, your anxiety level might be so high about going to daycare or being alone um, or separated from mom and dad that it causes this unnecessary distress or impairment. Now, is that four-year-old I'm um, going to be in cognitive behavioral therapy? Not really, but as parents and the structure around them, we're going to support them in feeling like we can change things so that they can feel better, so that that discomfort, that uncomfortableness, the impairment um, doesn't have to be present for them. And so I don't think there's really a lower limit. It's just having to be creative about probably how we intervene. Um, and we probably might not, we might not label it in the same way. And I don't think there's always value in labeling it as a mental health condition versus here's a child whose environment and then clash. Um, and so let's figure out how we can support the child and the environment to allow them to thrive. Right.
0: Okay. In a few minutes we're going to talk about what's going to happen when the pandemic is over because we will be reintroducing our children to the world. And that may in itself create more anxieties and stresses that maybe we're not even aware of yet. So that I'm going to talk about, but let's get to the dreaded teenager. (laughs) Play some, play some scary music. All right. The dreaded teenager trying to talk to your teen at the best of times and parents, you are not alone in this. Your kid goes into the room, they shut themselves off, they they just give you one-word answers, they don't want to come up for dinner or anything. Okay, that's you know, for the most part, I don't want to say it's normal, but that's a teenager. But now we still are their parents and we still need to make sure that their mental health is in check. What do we do to talk to them? Yeah. And more importantly, what do we do to listen?
1: Well, I think I mean I would actually start with that listening piece right and so you know parents from a very early age so even you know preteens, we want kids and young people to recognize that the door is open to have that communication to share what's going on um, again I always tell parents you know we can't expect our young people to talk about their emotions and their feelings and their worries and stresses if we're not sharing that with them if we're not practicing and showing them what that might look like within reason of course right um, and there's lots of different ways a parent might be able to talk about their own stressors. Now, you don't, you don't have to talk about the big stuff that you think they're not ready for, but there's plenty of everyday stuff that we can chat about. So if your child recognizes or your teenager recognizes that you're not scared to talk about that and that there's value in talking about that with your with your kid, your partner, your best friend, your mom, whoever it might be, then they can practice that. You know, I, I, I mostly want teenagers to be able to open up to somebody. Of course, I want them to open up to their parents because parents can often provide other support and guidance. Um, But if they're feeling comfortable talking to a best friend, um, maybe an aunt or another person in their family, um, that gets them to recognize that we don't need to hide from mental health. And almost everybody, every adult you've ever spoken to whose mental health concerns started before the age of 15, and we know that's for about 70 to 80% of mental health conditions, you know, they say, I felt really alone. I felt like nobody could understand what I was going through. I didn't believe anybody wanted to hear what was happening. Um, and so if we get young people, and I think they're doing a great job, to be honest. I think teenagers are, are probably more comfortable sometimes <laughs> talking about their mental health. Maybe they're not doing with their parents as well. Um, but they surprise me all the time and how much their mental health language has even developed, right? To be able to recognize that this doesn't feel right. This isn't my normal.
0: Let's talk about about a parent's mental health. We've already sort of talked about how, you know, your child is going to play off your feelings. They, they know, you know them well, they know you well. And how do we do our own checkup on ourselves, our own check in? And be, because we need to, to be concerned about our own mental health as well before we try and help our children.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, again, even going back to this idea about talking to others, right? That, you know, that's a strategy that most adults have available to them. Sometimes it may be through a distress line. And other times it's that best friend or a work colleague. Um, but we have to be able to talk to others about what's going on. And even actually talking to your Elf a little bit. And what I mean by that is you're like paying attention to your own self-talk. Um, you know, what does it sound like in your head? Is it doom and gloom and despair and not having any hope? that might be a time to kind of get some of that out. Um, Or is it a sense of balanced thinking? Like it's not easy right now. I'll I'll be honest. It hasn't been a couple of easy (laughs) weeks in my home. Um, But I trust that with the return to routine and with maybe more sunny days and a bit more effort, um, that as a family, we can all work on our mental health together. Um, So parents have to take it seriously whenever they can um, and and it's okay to put yourself first, because um, then only then can you do the best for your kids. And we all know we know that, but you know we don't always do that. We don't act in that way. We feel guilty sometimes about prioritizing our own needs as adults and parents um, over those of others. But when you you know you'd give any friend um, that advice to say no no no, it looks like you really need a break or you really need to take some time to take care of yourself. Um, then and only then can you really be there for your kids
0: yeah uh please if you're traveling with a child make sure you put your mask on first <laughs> before putting their mask on and, and that does seem counterintuitive to a parent but it makes sense
1: so much sense right and it absolutely applies right now when it comes to taking care of all the uncertainty and all the challenges we're all faced with right now um, and it doesn't mean it's not about being selfish and I, you know I hear that from families right um, it's actually about being you know making a good investment. I know your children's mental health will be strongly impacted by your own mental health as a parent. So I think of it as an investment. Sometimes it's easier to invest in yourself in that moment than it is to try and intervene with your child. You'll still be there for your child, whether they're six or 16, um, but you're doing it from multiple avenues because there's no one way to take care of mental health. And we know that, right?
0: One day this is going to be over. One oh. day we are going to, get back on buses without masks. One day we are going to go back to school. One day we are going to be back out in the world Mm -hmm. after having spent so much time indoors and inside. Are we maybe looking at another crisis down the road of sort of Mm -hmm. reintroducing ourselves to the world and the anxieties and stresses that could bring?
1: You know, in in pre-pandemic, we knew that levels of anxiety for young people were, I don't going to say creeping up completely, but higher than they probably have been for a really long time. Um, And uh, we have lots of theories about why that was, whether it was everything from social media to the environmental worries that young people have um, to social injustice. There was plenty of reasons. Um, But the reality is that we don't exactly know what our new normal is going to look like when it emerges. Um, But we do know some of the same things that have always worked for children, which is routines and predictability, giving them control in areas that they can control, giving them supports um, to manage their mental health in the home, in their school environment, and outside of that if needed. These are the things that work for children. These are the things that help support the rebuilding of resiliency. And I think that's what we probably want to put our time and effort in, right? Um, We wanna support young people who have truly Experienced mental health considerations that need so they need you know true intervention. But for the everyday child who had some you know I would say decline during this pandemic year, we want to build them back up to whatever their normal should be, whatever is right for them in a way. And it's not going to be one solution. It's going to be a little bit of everything, right? Um, to maybe the way the schools are operating, to the way the mental health system is operating, to what families are doing to get people to ease back in. I'm sure most parents are having this this imagining, like, you know, for those families that are working from home thinking, oh, my goodness, one day I'm going to have to put on a shirt and pants yeah, to leave my yes. house. <laughs> and, you know.
0: I, I myself rarely wear socks right now. So, yeah, yes, yeah. one day I'm going to have right. to do that all over again. And, and I'm, I'm sure ta-
1: kids feel the same way.
0: I'm talking with Dr. Kushamaria. She is a child psychologist, also on the leadership team at CBT Associates. Uh, And your group was one of the first off the mark last year to get into digital therapy through mindbeacon.com. Now, that is a great resource for parents. And in most provinces now, it is covered by, uh, by the province, and if not, by your health insurance. Um, for kids though, yeah. there where can they turn to for help? And, and I want to, and I'm going to just give one suggestion. First of all, a kid's cell phone has done an incredible job. However, they are so overwhelmed right. with what's going on.
1: Right. You're absolutely right. And I, you know, I really, um, it, it, in Canada, of course, we know what there is province by province, sometimes even location by location in terms of where you are. Um, however, Um, there has been quite a bit of investment in different ways to support children and families. I think it's the hardest part is navigating. It's figuring out what's out there and what's available. And I think wherever you are in the country, we know that there are... um, wait lists and challenges and accessing support but not everybody needs to dive right into intensive therapy there are other tools and supports that are available and sometimes that's self-help guides sometimes that's a parent doing their own therapy and working with their young person sometimes it's looking for things within the school systems um so it, the real you know the real push is to look for something if you think you and your child need support i don't care where you get it i just want you to be able to look out for that help. Um, we often think about access to mental health in a tiered approach. Um, so some people think, okay, well, you know, I'm too scared to tell my family doctor that I'm having anxiety because he or she's gonna put me on medication and tell me to go off to therapy. And the reality is that's just not true. Um, we don't want to start people at the most intensive types of treatments. We start with sort of some of the earlier ones, which sometimes is communication, sometimes it's self-care, sometimes it's like self-help guided, book um, sometimes it's a, a you know an appropriate digital therapy that's available there's lots of different kind of mm. levels and so you know the bottom line is we want people to not wait don't wait till you're in crisis or things are really bad if we're starting to look for help because unfortunately it might not be ready right away um, but hopefully something will be right and available for you.
0: Dr. Amaria thank you once again for this and I know we'll be talking again soon
1: All right. Thank you very much, Kevin. Take
0: care. City Parent is Canada's largest award-winning free regional parenting magazine serving families for 35 years. We've recently redesigned our website, cityparent.com, to bring you a new look and feel, along with the latest for babies, education, childcare, camps, family fun, and entertainment. You'll enjoy our wide range of information and advice on products, our book reviews, local event listings, recipes, and health features. Pick up your free copy at convenient pickup locations across the GTA or visit cityparent.com to read digital editions and more. Enter our sign up to win contest for a chance to win a Craftsman Toolkit valued at $449.99. For all things for your family, click to cityparent.com today.
2: Like this, mom. Yes, exactly like this, Katie. You are doing such
0: a Man, good job. Man, how many times have you read this book, Katie? <laughs> Five-year-old Kate is learning mindfulness as a way to deal with stress and anxiety. Her mom, Erin LeDrew, is a recreational therapist with Cam H and the author of a new interactive kids' bedtime book, Mindful Me Goes to Sleep. You know, the title of this book for a kid's book is an extremely deep title. How do you explain to a child what mindful me goes to sleep mean? what How do you explain mindfulness to a child?
2: <laughs> mindfulness to a child. I think that it is a conversation. I know I can speak from experience uh, with my kids. And the way I talk to them about mindfulness is really about how to be present and in the moment but in a way that that helps them kind of connect to what's going on even just in their surroundings. so maybe a, um, a way to think of it is also sort of grounding. Um, there's things that you can do like you know naming five things you can see, four things you can uh, touch three things you can taste, two things you can smell or etc but these bring you into the moment. And it, that's, that's really what we're talking about when mindfulness happens. It's a grounding into the moment. Um, and I, I think that kids have a, a good and natural ability to do this. Um, and so I, I, that's how we talk about it in my house.
0: How do you, who do you think are better at being mindful? Kids who can be very busy to or adults who can have extremely busy minds?
2: I, I think both. But I think that kids have a more natural ability to fall into the moment, uh, maybe a little quicker than adults. Uh, Let's say it takes adults maybe a bit longer to get uh, more comfortable and a little more zen, because we've got a lot of things going on. Kids, you know, might have a lot of thoughts and a lot of other things going on in their mind. But um, the other piece that I think is helpful for kids is, is their attention. Uh, even when in nature, I, I often find and my kids are much quicker at pointing out, you know, a bird or a squirrel, uh, because they are that much more aware of their surroundings and present in the moment. Um, yeah, and I think that that's, that's part of uh, you know, for kids, that ease of of going back into the moment.
0: I think what's so wonderful about this book, as well, is that like many other children's books, you know, adults can learn a lot from them. I mean, we talk about Dr. Seuss and all oh, the places you will you will go and the places you will see, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and and your book, Mindful Me Goes to Sleep, as as parents are reading this to their kids you know, hopefully some of it's sinking in as well.
2: Absolutely. I had every intention of making this book be about parents doing, or parents and caregivers doing these actions with their kids. Uh, Because we know that, that, you know, we're role models and, and kids look to our behavior to inform some of their own. And so the more that we can demonstrate how we use these practices, uh, you know, I think it's, it's helpful for kids. And this book has some really simple strategies that are easy for parents and kids to do together. So I think that even just going through these actions, parents will find that they'll, they'll have the benefits of the relaxation and the mindfulness as well.
0: All right. Let's get to some of the strategies. Uh, A couple from the book. Lay down flat on the floor with your feet on the wall. What's that doing?
2: That is a wonderful restorative uh, yoga pose, actually. But really what it's doing, I mean, physically for our bodies is it's reducing um, the the amount of work that our heart needs to do uh, to pump all the blood. And it kind of um, relaxes a little bit and slows everything down. Um, it, it's really... Um, you know, you don't have to do it for very long, just sort of a couple breaths uh, in that pose. And you should be feeling sort of a, a sense of calm that kind of comes like a bit of a wave. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's a, it's very common in yoga practices, uh, and it's great for grounding and mindfulness.
0: And this is okay before a child goes to sleep to get them <laughs> to do a little bit of this
2: yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, again, like I said, you know, I I think trying different strategies when it comes to sort of learning how uh, to cope and manage in our world, mindfulness is just one of those. And some of these examples in the book are just some of the many, uh, but if you don't try them, you also won't know how you respond to them or whether they work or don't work. I think that, I think that's the uh, that's the value too of trying different things. Um, and so, I don't know for, for some kids, uh, I think that you know trying some of these actions might might have a, a benefit to their sleep too. And you wouldn't know if you don't
0: try. <laughs> Move your hands to your cheeks to slow down your thoughts. Move your hands to your cheeks to slow down your thoughts. Explain that.
2: So that is really a uh, a, a way to pair uh, a physical action with something that's going on within uh, within us. So you know it's hard to think and explain sort of the uh, concept of the fact that our thoughts are in our mind and maybe they're bumping around, uh, and for for kids to kind of understand how to slow those down. You know how how could you possibly do that, right? It's it's a it's sort of an intangible concept. And if you think of, um, you know, moving your hands to your cheeks, and if your words are the words that you're saying, but they're not coming out because you're focusing on your breath, maybe it's allowing those words to kind of, uh, you know, slow down and release. So it's, it's more, um, it's more just meant to be something that compare uh, with that, that concept of sort of slowing down our thoughts.
0: here's something I hear often being told to adults, especially if if you're going to be meditating or something like that, focus on your breathing and not thinking a lot.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, for kids and for adults, when we do take the time to just reconnect with our breath, it really can slow everything down. And, you know, I think that taking time to really think about sort of slowing down those thoughts, uh, it's, it's really important. It's, um, you know, it's just repeating it even after you say it can sometimes just help. And it's the breath that really brings us back to that moment and into the present.
0: How are kids these days? How, how are they coping? Um, you know, I, I, hear, I hear the stories from adults, Uh, And we know that uh, young adults, 18 to 34, seem to be getting hit a lot harder than those who are older. But how are the kids doing?
2: I, you know, it's really tough. I think that kids and parents are, are struggling still uh, with the current state of things. And, you know, the winter can make things that much harder. I know today we had some beautiful sunshine, but, you know, it, it can be hard. And I do think that, uh, you know, kids are resilient Uh, And so are we as adults Uh, and resiliency is a a skill. You can teach that, you know, it's something you can practice, you can build resiliency skills with your family. And I think that maybe, you know, this is allowing for a time and a space to have these conversations and to think about, um, you know, how can we build our resiliency and and how do you do that uh, as a family and as a unit? Um, but you know, everyone's experience is so unique. Going through this, the one thing that does bring us all together is that we are all going through it.
0: It's interesting you say build resiliency. I think a lot of us just assume you're resilient or you're not, uh, <laughs> and, and 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 you either have it or you don't. And and we kind of think that kids have it, so why should we build it? We, but but it is not just an automatic reflex if that's what you you want to call it is it resiliency
2: no no i think it's something you really have to work on uh and build um and i think that you know building resiliency into maybe your family unit um and then you know furthermore so de- teaching your kids to build it into their own life is really about building in routine uh and some parts of your schedule that can be really predictable um, these kinds of things are, are what we count on during, you know, difficult times, right? When things are uncertain, uh, it's hard to feel like we have any control. And so uh, making the things that we can control, uh, you know, a little more predictable, that can really help. And, you know, I think that uh, truthfully, that's how I think you can approach mindfulness, you know, building it into a routine that already exists. So my book is an example of building it in at bedtime, but you can build these into, uh, you know, brushing your teeth time or family meal time uh, or, you know, morning cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, building in those types of predictability can build that resilience. Uh, And having, you know, even having a good menu of options that help you cope and manage builds resilience. You know, if you know that, arts and crafts can calm you, or a cup of tea, or going outside for a walk, you know, having more of these options, perhaps practicing mindfulness, yoga, you know, meditation, these things, uh, knowing what you can go to, to kind of use as part of your, your routine to help ground you too. I think, overall, this, this is what builds resilience.
0: What age group is the book aimed at?
2: I would say junior kindergarten, uh, you know, for, for me, the times that this book has been most valuable for my kids has been really right now. It's the ages of sort of, uh, four to eight, I would say.
0: What are we watching for in our kids? You know, what is happening in those little minds, uh, right now that we need to watch out for to show that perhaps they're being impacted by lockdown, uh, maybe a little more than we want them to be?
2: Uh, I think, you know, talking to our kids is is a great place to start because we need to listen and hear what they're saying. And if, you know, you're hearing worry and thoughts of worry, uh, however big or small, uh, and it's related to things that are going on now, it's, it's being able to, I think, have an open conversation with them about it. Um, and, you know, trying to talk more about sort of the feelings that maybe come up and how best we can kind of address some of those. Sometimes it's hard for kids to even consider, you know, what the different feelings and emotions are. So I, I'd say, you know, you know your kids best, um, and so you're going to know uh, some of those signs. But if you don't ask, it will be a little harder. Um, and I, I don't think that, and you know, you might tailor your responses considering the age group of your children. But I don't think that, you know, it's too young to ask kids how they're feeling and listen.
0: But what do we say to them? I mean, it, it, like the truth can be scary sometimes. So what do we say when, when, when they say, how come I can't see my friends? How come we can't go and see grandma? Uh, when is it going to be over? Are we going mm-hmm. to be okay? Like those yeah. are questions even adults are asking right now and having a hard time finding the answer for.
2: Oh, I know it's, it's a very tough time. And I think that we all have to hold on to our own pieces of hope. Um, And look to the positives, you know, in the early days of the pandemic, I remember a lot of people reminding um, everyone really, you know, these were maybe comments more on Twitter, to look for the helpers, you know, it's the same situation we think of whenever there are really, really bad things that happen, there are always helpers and Mr. Deliver. Rogers
0: Fred Rogers' mother yes. apparently right. Is, is, right. is who said that to him saying in time, in, in in times of uh, you know disaster and uh, look for the helpers yeah. and uh, so we can do that for a while the problem is a lot of our coping mechanisms it's like we keep going to that that same well over and over it's how do you keep yourself fresh
2: Mhm. Mhm. Well, and I think it's about doing the things that refuel and recharge your heart. Um, you know, that's that's where I I started the book off with uh, you know, you've had a long day and you need to recharge your heart. I think mindfulness is a way to recharge your heart. Uh, I mean, it works for me and it works for our family. I know it can work for others and I think that, you know, it's it's about finding the right things that work for you to recharge your heart or recharge your, um, you know, your, your tank, <laughs> uh, wherever you're running from.
0: <laughs> and this is important, right? Because, because so, so many times, and I'm sure you, you, you see this uh, when, when you talk to, to patients, and that is something happened as a child that was sort of discounted or let go, and they, they never really processed or developed I mean, I know in my own personal case, my depression, there's a lot of it tied to things that happened as a child that never got dealt with. So this is an important thing that we're doing for our kids.
2: Absolutely. And every family is different. And, you know, they will experience um, mental health concerns differently. But we do know it's, you know, one in five Canadians at some point in their life, uh, you know, will struggle. And so it's, it's different how people will want to deal with it and address it. Um, but I do think that, um, it's, it's important to know what your options are. And I think right now, it's really nice to see that there's many more conversations about how people are learning to navigate that recovery journey. Uh, you know, more and more uh, youth, I feel like are starting to share their perspectives and and some of how they're getting through things. And there's some really beautiful, um, you know, I think moments happening through some of that. Uh, I think that there are, uh, lots of different options for families, and and it really, it's about exploring those. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's, it's tough as a parent. I mean, it, it's very, very tough because you want to be strong. You want to show how strong you are. It, it's, you know, there's a lightning storm, a thunderstorm. Oh, it's okay. I mean, you could be terrified of it yourself, but you don't mm-hmm. want to to show your kids that. Is it okay to tell your kids that maybe you're a little bit afraid too?
2: Oh, for sure. I, I absolutely think it's important to be honest and transparent with their kids. You know, I I often, I and again, I guess I I say uh, tailor your response, you know, for your kid's age. Um, but, you know, I'm honest with my kids sometimes when I've had a bad day. And I'll tell them honestly the kinds of things that I do think that might help me sort of, uh, you know, cope or de-stress from that day. I, I tell my kids that sometimes, you know, like... I'm human, and things happen in, in my day too, and I can't always separate, but but I'm always uh, consistent, I guess, in terms of being uh, available to them and approachable to them. I think that, you know, as parents, the, the stability factor is important, and we need to be that stability for our kids in these kind of uncertain times. It's hard to do, but I think being being honest and transparent about the things that you're doing to help yourself will help them see, uh, you know, what it looks like to kind of, you know, practice self-care.
0: You had a chance to talk to moms and dads after they've read the book to their kids. Uh, What has been the reaction and what has been maybe their, their most common comments or questions about the book?
2: Um, I think, you know what, I, I think that one of the nicest things that I hear from people about the book is, is just how um, what they see from their kids when they're doing the actions. Uh, the the most touching sort of moments are the ones where, you know, friends or colleagues have sent images uh, of their loved ones doing the book, and you can see the little kids doing the actions. And the the expressions on their face, I think, to me, you know, like I said, I do think parents know their kids best. And those expressions, you can see when they're really having a moment of peace, or they're feeling calm, or they're they're having that that connection. And and it's a it's a very, I think, a joyful feeling as a parent to see that. And so when I have parents uh, sharing those moments, that that brings a lot of joy for me. Yeah.
0: Mindful Me Goes to Sleep. It's available on Amazon at uh, Indigo and uh, chapters and pretty well anywhere else you can, uh, you can buy a book. Uh, thank you so much for this. I appreciate it. Uh, it. It, you know, like I said, it's a lesson, not just for, uh, for kids, but for moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, uncles and aunts and adults. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. <laughs> thank Thanks you so, so much. much. Thank
0: you. Next episode. According to a study, COVID-19 and addiction, published in the Journal of Diabetes and Metabolic Syndrome, there is a surge of addictive behaviors as more people fill the loneliness and the uncertainty with the bottle or drugs. I talked with a woman, an addict herself, who is now helping people overcome addiction with something called recovery tracking. That's next time on The Happy Molecule. Until then, take care of yourself and take care of each other.
1: Please consider subscribing to this podcast and also check out the Happy Molecule Extra at thehappymolecule.com. There you'll find a link to a video version of this episode, be able to join the conversation about mental health, learn about our Facebook live show, and get a preview of upcoming episodes. You can email us at thehappymolecule at gmail.com. I'm Aaron Davis, wishing you
2: good mental health.